0: Father in heaven, as we begin our class for elders today, we invite your Holy Spirit to bless us and to guide our conversation, our study. And may it uh, be such that it helps us to do our work better for you and that we might be able to serve you and honor you by our responsibilities that we carry out. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be in charge of what I say and what we hear, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. How many of you are brand new elders, never been an elder before, and you're just starting out? Okay? How many of you are elders and never have taken, even whether you're new or not, but never taken any training of any kind in terms of being an elder? Okay? All right. Some of you are kind of getting into it and figuring it all out, and... We're glad for that, and our purpose today is to be able to give you some of the basics of being an elder. Now, I want to warn you that when I teach this class, uh, at first it starts out very low key and it doesn't seem like it's much of an issue, Uh, but once we get into this class, especially two days worth, suddenly we realize that there's an awful lot to being an elder. And I don't want you to go away discouraged and thinking, I didn't realize I signed up for that. Forget it. I'm out of here. Don't do that. This is an opportunity for you as an individual to grow in your understanding. It's not unusual for the nominating committee to call somebody and say, we need you to be an elder. And you say, what's an elder? And they say, all you got to do is be on the platform once a month and call for the offering or something like that. And then, okay, I can do that. And so now you're an elder and you get ordained to take a call call for the offering on Sabbath morning or to have a morning prayer. And nobody ever tells you what the job is. Nobody describes it to you. Maybe your pastor never gives you any training and you're an elder for years. That's what you understood was an elder. And then one day you come to camp meeting and somebody stands up in a class like this and opens up the church manual to you, and opens up some basic information to you about what an elder is, and you say, whoa, I can't do all of that. Nobody on earth has time to do all of that. Take one step at a time and realize that this is a very special calling and that God does have a purpose for you. You might have your horizon expanded a little bit, But don't worry, God is able to fill the vacuum and the space and help you as you're trying to meet all of those particular needs and issues that arise in your church that you are responsible for carrying out. I'd like you to look at your notebook that I've given to you here, your folder, so you know what's in it. Again, today is our first class. This is one of two classes for elders, Uh, We will have a deacons and deaconesses training on Wednesday and Thursday. If you are able to be a part of that, I would like to encourage you to do that. Because part of your work as an elder is leading your congregation and leading your leaders. And a lot of people have no idea, especially our elders, have no idea what deacons and deaconesses are supposed to do. And we do the same thing there that we do here. I'm good, but Shelley... I could use some of my materials like I forgot the elders' uh, handbooks. Some of those kinds of things I forgot to bring in here, okay? Thanks. I'd encourage you to do it so that you know what deacons and deaconesses do. And the Friday class is on managing theological conflict. I say, first of all, welcome to the last days that we knew were coming but are here. And welcomes not quite the word I want to use, but I used it a little tongue-in-cheek. We are in the last days, folks, and we are encountering more and more theological conflict in the church, and some of it is over minor things that are, frankly, in times, not relevant. Other times, they are over things that are very relevant and separating people from one another, dividing the church and creating problems. You will face this in the last days. Our churches are facing it in these days. We have churches that are dividing and members that are having to be asked to surrender their church membership because of this happening in the state of Michigan and around the country, and there are some issues. We'll talk about that on Friday, but not today. In this uh, notebook uh, folder, you have a class evaluation, which I'd like you to complete tomorrow after our last class. If for some reason you're only able to come to the class today and you uh, have to be in Hong Kong tomorrow, and that may seem strange, but we had a fellow that was here for the weekend, Jim Howard, and that's where he is today, in China, not Hong Kong, but at least I don't think he's in Hong Kong. So it could happen. I don't know. It might happen to you. But would you complete this and then turn it in? Tomorrow I'll ask for it as you leave. Behind it is some blank paper that you can use for taking notes if you would like. If you happen to need more, let me know and we'll be happy to get that for you. Today I have a handout for you. It looks like this. You're going to notice that it looks an awful lot like what's on the screen. And the reason for that is because it is the slides, because I know that sometimes people want to take notes of what's on the on the screen and that means that it's here for you, and there's space next to it that will also be helpful for you in taking notes. So you should have plenty of space for that. Anybody needs something to write with and not have anything to write with? So, my wonderful secretary, this is Shelly Ringstaff for you, those of you who don't know her. I think that's all I needed, yeah, thanks. If you would bring some pens in, that would be great. I will give you a copy of the Elder's Handbook that looks like this, if you have one already, keep it and take it. Take this one and give it to one of your other elders that may not have it. Um, if you don't have one, of course, it's yours. And it, uh, there's a price on the back, and that's not for you. That's only if you're buying it from the ABC. So I am providing that for you. You took the time to come to the class. I want you to have it. Our study material today is out of the handbook and uh, is what we'll be uh, sharing with you, so there'll be some pieces along the way. I won't give that to you right now to save a little bit of time. We'll give it out to you at the end. All right, I think I've taken care of some of the housekeeping items, so I'd like to get us started. I'd like to start by talking about the elders' call and qualification. So let's talk a little bit about what God's expectation of is for you. First of all, to be an elder is not calling you just for the task of reading the scripture on Sabbath morning. You are called to be an elder by God for a purpose. It is a high calling. One would call it the highest office in the local church. Now, we don't like to think of our offices as higher and lower and all of that, but you have the most significant leadership responsibility in the local church, especially from a spiritual perspective. Elders who realize that their calling comes first from God will most appreciate the importance and the seriousness of their leadership responsibility. This is not just the nominating committee calling you, asking you to do something once a month. This is God calling you for a leadership task in the church that involves serious spiritual responsibility for which God will hold you responsible for what you do or what you don't do. It is akin to being called to being a pastor. The difference is you're not called to full-time paid ministry. Go anywhere in the world that God might call you to do as an ordained minister. But you are called to serve God in the local church as the spiritual leader in that local church. That means doing what Paul told Timothy he needed to do, what Paul was told the scriptures were there to do, and what Timothy was told he was supposed to do in leading the people of the church, correcting them, encouraging them, teaching them, guiding them, being the spiritual leaders that, God needs you to be in that congregation. We're going to talk about the job description more specifically in a moment, but right now we're talking about the calling. Calling of an elder starts with God calling you. But the church also needs to recognize that calling. I have had situations, and even have today, situations where people... um, People in the church, men who believe that they are called to be elders, who are pushing, pushing, pushing all the time for the church to put them in as elders. The church has to elect you to be an elder. The church should recognize your calling. If the church does not recognize your calling, it is not your job to force them to recognize what you believe to be the calling of God. That's the job of God Himself to do. Leave it to Him. Usually the least qualified individual to be an elder is the one who insists on being one. Because if God's calling you, He will take care of the placement. He will take care of the timing. When God's ready for you, He will make that clear. Elders should not be elected because they already hold some position of importance in the community or because they have been successful in business or are wealthy. People that are leaders in the church are called to be elders because of their spiritual leadership. They may also have other leadership skills, but they should not be called to leadership just because they have those skills. A lot of individuals don't realize this about being elected to being an elder. But an elder is elected, yes, by the congregation, but has no authority in the congregation until, number one, they are ordained, and number two, they are or, uh, or called to by the organized church in which they are uh, called to serve. Now, here's what I mean by that. An elder, when they are ordained to be an elder in the local church, are ordained for life. That means that if you're ordained, Fred, in Michigan, you don't have to be ordained in Alabama, but in order to serve as an elder in Alabama, if you are called to be a Uh, an elder in the Cedar Lake Church and you were ordained in the Cedar Lake Church, when you go to Alabama you have no authority in that church and your ordination only means that you don't have to be ordained again but that you do have to be elected by that congregation before you have any authority in that congregation. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's talk about the job description of an elder for a moment. What is the elder's job? Well, the most important place for us to go is the Word of God, and when we look at the Word of God in the New Testament, we find some things similar to what we just talked about. First of all, they were appointed by the congregations. As Paul went around from place to place, he did appoint elders to lead those members in, that, in those congregations. The Bible in the New Testament says that the individuals who were elected to that position were done so because they were highly respected. Respected for their leadership and for their spiritual direction and what God was already doing in their lives. Not that when they were appointed to be elders that they suddenly became spiritual, but that first of all they were spiritual, they were recognized as such and respected for their spiritual leadership, and then they were elected and appointed as elders in that congregation. They gave leadership in prayer and anointed the sick. Those were just some of the things that we see elders doing in the New Testament. That's not all. There were other things as well. They also carried significant leadership and administrative responsibilities. You'll remember that when they ordained deacons, they did so because administratively they were being flooded with tasks that were taking them away from prayer and study of the word and preaching the word. They were being called to do something that somebody else could do well, and that was taking care of the physical needs of the widows. Remember that story in Acts They had administrative responsibilities, and when they were encumbered with those administrative responsibilities, they began to delegate those responsibilities to others so that they could continue to do the spiritual leadership roles that God had especially called them to do. And that was to be shepherds, overseers, and examples. That man taking time, shepherds, a lot of Elders sometimes forget that that's what they are called to be, and overseers. We'll talk as we go through this uh, day and tomorrow a little bit of what it means to be an overseer. An overseer means to be helping the pastor in overseeing the various other departments of the local church and the work of the local church, but we will talk about that a little bit more. Jesus said to Peter, shepherd my sheep. And Peter, as an elder, also taught other elders to do the same thing. In spiritual leadership, they should be recognized as... Make sure I didn't skip that one. No, I didn't. Should be respected by their congregation, as I already spoke to. They should be able to speak well. Now, let me address this one for a moment. Because I've, as a pastor over the years... I've talked to people about being elders and they say, yes, I'm an elder, but I don't preach. Okay? I don't do this or don't do that. I don't, whatever. But the job description actually includes that. And let me encourage you that maybe you don't feel that you would be a good speaker or that you are a good speaker. Let's face the reality, some people are better speakers than others, yes? And, and that can be very true and that can be a challenge for us. But I also know that all of us can learn to do things we never thought we'd ever be able to do. Now, some of you are in smaller congregations, some of you are in larger congregations. Um, and if you're in Irons, you're in a smaller congregation. If you are in Orient-Oxford, you're in a slightly larger congregation. And, and regardless of size, some people are afraid of the idea of standing up in front. I know that seems strange if I'm about to tell you this, but let me tell you that I'm a minister today. I've been pastoring for 40 years and I'm relatively comfortable up front because I've been doing it for so long. But I didn't start out that way. When I started out in in, uh, facing ministry, I knew God had called me to ministry. I started my education at Pacific Union College in college, actually before that, in academy down in Southern California, and they knew I was planning to be a pastor, and they decided I needed to be the president of the seminar club. And, And the seminar club was a club that would go around and would preach from place to place. I had no idea what I was doing, not any idea. My father is a minister. I remember one of my classmates, he got up and preached a sermon on Jonah. I still remember that he preached on Jonah. Fifty years later, I still remember it. And the sermon that he preached was powerful. I got up and I have no idea what I said after him. And, and I don't think anybody else remembered it either. And I went to college and we didn't start off with her, uh, with our, uh, class on preaching at first. That came three years later. But I had to take a speech class. And in that speech class, we had to give one minute speeches. And then the professor told us, now the last thing you're going to do is give a 10-minute speech. And I thought, yeah, right. I can't think for one minute, let alone for 10 minutes. My father came and got me for Thanksgiving, took me back home. And on the way home, I said, Dad, I've got to speak for 10 minutes. I have no idea how I'm going to do that. I have no idea what my dad said, but I do know I got through that. I went as a student missionary shortly after that. I had to learn to preach there. By the way, one of the best ways to learn to preach is preach when you have to do it through a translator. The reason I did is because while he was talking what I had just said, I was able to think of what I was going to say next. (laughs) And there was no gap or lag in time. It's a great way to learn to preach. What I'm telling you is when God calls you to do something, He will... Fill the gap. If He calls you, He will give you what you need in order to be able to do it. You do your very best, and I don't mean be lazy. I mean you do your very best. And God will take that and He will use it to His glory. Don't give up on that. Have a consecrated life. That is a decision between you and Jesus. A daily walking with the Lord as he is guiding you in your walk with him you're consecrated to him that means that there are some things that some people in the church may do without guilty consciences but you can't do because you are a leader you are consecrated to Jesus Christ he is looking to you to be an example to that congregation you also need to have spiritual leadership ability and that is part of your job description is to be that spiritual leader. We'll come back and talk about how that comes out a little bit. Let's speak a little of general oversight that you have over the congregation. And that is to keep a watchful eye over each activity and each department in the congregation. Many pastors will take their elders and organize their elders. Let's say that if uh, we can go back... Uh, to Orion oxford and, and that particular congregation, I think of it as a little bit of a larger congregation, or Cadillac, uh, Dave, that would be a larger congregation as well. I know that pastors will take a congregation where you might have... How many elders do you have? It's just one elder? You and I must talk after this. <laughs> how many... How many elders do you have? You've got five, all right? Let me talk about that for just a moment. Um, If you've got five elders, pastors will often take those elders and divide the congregation uh, or the departments, I should say, up among those pastors. Maybe one pastor will be responsible for the children's Sabbath school department. That's what I meant to say. Thank you. That's good. No, that's, let's keep that straight. One of the elders will be responsible to oversee. The, correct me along the way if I get off the track. Cause I don't, no, 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 you don't, don't apologize. I want it right on the tape, so let's get it right. So one might be responsible for the children's departments, and what they will do on Sabbath morning, they might slip out of their class, not all the time, but slip out of their class and go and just check on those classes, see how they're going. They go down there and they go down to the uh, cradle roll or beginners as we call it today and that classroom and they go and look in there. Oh man, those kids are engaged with, with what's happening there and the teacher. I mean, you know, listen to what the teacher is teaching and she's teaching good stuff and, and helping them know about Jesus down there and it's wonderful. Goes over to the kindergarten class and Whoa, there's ten kids and they're running all over the place. And where's the teacher? The teacher's not even in there. And and there's just chaos reigning in that class. The elder has responsibility to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? I've got to help to correct this. Now you might have to do something to meet the immediate, I'll call it emergency. I don't know why the teacher isn't there right now. Maybe she or she didn't get there that morning and didn't tell anybody. Or it may be that suddenly she was sick and had to run to the restroom. Whatever the case may be, meet that particular need, but then work with the leadership of the church to make sure that those kinds of things are being corrected. There are times when our Sabbath school teachers are teaching something I would put on the border of heresy. We have responsibility for knowing that and also correcting those kinds of things. And it can happen even in the children's departments where they're not teaching them what they really should know. They're teaching them things that maybe could be taught in any Baptist church. They might even be using Baptist material instead of material that the Seventh-day Adventist church has put out to lead our people into an understanding of the three angels' messages from beginners to adults, So they can oversee those children's departments. They can oversee the adult Sabbath school. Somebody else can. Maybe somebody, one of the elders is appointed, Dave, in your church to oversee the Pathfinders and Adventurers and just be aware of what's happening there to make sure that good things are happening there and giving them support from time to time. doesn't mean being at all the Pathfinder meetings and all of that, but it's giving oversight and recognizing what's happening there. You understand what I'm getting at. That's the kind of oversight that elders need actually to be responsible for. That is actually a very good question. What ought to happen is there ought to be an elder sitting on the finance committee. If it's the head elder and you're the only head elder, I would encourage that to be the case. If there is no elder on the finance committee, then I would encourage the board to correct that problem and that there be an elder there. You're the spiritual leader of that congregation, and finances are a spiritual issue in a church, yes? Mm -hmm. So I would, yes, encourage that to be the case, okay? Absolutely, good question. Don't hesitate to ask. That's the way you get answers. If I have them, I will be happy to share them. Be involved in planning, staffing, training, and guiding the entire church program. I want you to understand what that means. You think so far, I hope you noticed, there's a lot of things on here that you thought was the job of the pastor and only the pastor. But no, the responsibilities are the responsibilities of the leadership of the church. The pastor oversees, but you are helping to oversee the church, especially if a pastor has more than one congregation. You have the responsibility to make sure that those things that are happening in that church are being, uh, are being overseen part first and then moving the congregation along. As an elder, you want your congregation not to be a maintenance congregation. Do you know what I mean by that? Your role with the local church is to ensure that your church is growing and moving ahead for the work that God has given the church to do. A maintenance congregation is one that is the same a year from now as it was now. Or two years from now, the same as it is now, it will be in two years. If your church has not grown, has not uh, seen any change, or worse yet, has shrunk in two or three years, you know who is responsible for that? You are. You, the elders, are responsible for that. No, not the pastor. Yes, the pastor too. But as elders, you should never have allowed that to happen. And if the pastor is not helping the church to grow... Your role, your leadership role says, let's work together with the pastor. Don't tell the pastor what to do, but work cooperatively with the pastor. If necessary, challenge the pastor. And if the pastor is wanting to be a maintenance pastor, then call the ministerial department and talk to the ministerial director and say, we're getting nowhere. In the last two years, we're not getting anywhere. And if you want to know who that is, just look at my shirt. And you'll notice what it says right here, okay? It says ministerial department. So it's me that you would call. Or Elder Peppers, who's our associate in the ministerial department. And we'll be happy to help to find ways of encouraging that process to make uh, gains in your church rather than being a maintenance congregation. Planning, what does that mean? Planning means at the board meeting, talking about plans for the future, plans for evangelism. Where? What do we need in terms of staffing? Who don't we have uh, here that we do need? Do we need somebody in the children's department? Well, we already have a Have a leader down there. Yes, but there are 20 kids down there and one leader. We need somebody else down there. You worry about those things. You pray about those things. You look for those kinds of leaders. You train to prepare people to be those kinds of leaders. It's that kind of thing that you're doing. A lot of people say, well, we don't have anybody in our church. We might have a hundred members coming, but we have nobody who can fill that position. Well, you've got a hundred people in that church. Maybe you need to be training some of those people, training people to take the place of elders, training people to do these various tasks along the way. This is the work of an elder. All right, I'm getting labored down here, so I need to keep moving a little bit. General oversight along with the church. Includes demonstrating skills in worship leadership. Did you notice that nothing (coughs) that I've listed so far had anything to do with Sabbath morning? In terms of being on the platform on Sabbath morning. That is because your responsibilities are much broader than that. But it does include the worship service and the issues that relate to the worship service. Yes, you do want those things, the worship service, to be vibrant and uh, exciting. I didn't say rock and roll. That can be exciting, but it doesn't respond to what God is calling upon us to be doing. Demonstrating skills in worship leadership, helping the service to go well. A good church service is not one where you come to church on Sabbath morning and you say, now, would anybody be willing to have the uh, call for the offering this morning? Would anybody be willing to do the scripture reading this morning? That's not an organized worship service. That's not demonstrating skills in worship leadership. Those kinds of things are arranged ahead of time. Those people that are going to call for the offering and they're going to call for, you might be you, And they're going to have a scripture reading. There's going to be special music. Those are things that are organized ahead of time. And they're put in the bulletin on Sabbath morning. And rather than it be an emergency when somebody doesn't show up, it should, I mean, that's why it should be an emergency and not the regular thing. I know that when I've gone to churches, my wife also goes around and visits churches. She often has done classes uh, or sermons in congregations as well, especially on women's weekends. And she'll go to a congregation and find that what's happening in that congregation is that there's no leadership, there's no organization, nobody knows what's going on, and the elder's calling for everything up front on Sabbath morning to make sure that it happens. Emergencies happen, that's one thing. If that's regular, then that's not exercising leadership skill. If that happens to be you in your congregation... Don't take it as rebuke. Take it as a challenge. This is a good time to begin to work towards changing of those things. At the pastor's request or his absence, you might chair the board. I want to caution you with this. The church manual allows you to chair the board. I encourage you not to push your way to being the board chair. Pastor needs to be the leader of your congregation. Being the chair of the board is an important part of that responsibility. But if the pastor does ask you to do that, or if you happen to be a hospital administrator and chairing boards is what you do for a profession, and your pastor doesn't seem to even know how to develop an agenda then sit down and talk to the pastor and try to encourage him with that role rather than and teach him how to do that role. And then if he asks you to take over that role for some reason on a more permanent basis, you can accept on a temporary basis telling him that you want to help him to learn how to do that. But be careful of taking over the church and taking on that role because it sometimes sidetracks sidetracks you from some of the responsibility God has given you as well. And you want to make sure that you are helping to keep the responsibilities of the pastor in his plate. But you can, and you can even lead out in a business meeting if the pastor asks you to do. Only if the pastor asks you to do Only if he knows you are doing it. If you ever call a business meeting without him knowing about it or without the conference knowing about it, you have violated his trust. You have violated the trust of the conference and you are exercising the authority that you have been given in the wrong way. You do not have the authority to usurp the pastor. And this does happen from time to time when people get a little frustrated. Either the board or the business meeting. Elders should be committed to outreach and have a clear vision of the church's mission. You are called upon to be a Seventh-day Adventist elder. You are called upon to be a leader because you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. You are called upon to be an elder because you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you are surrendered to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Christ. If you are a disciple of Christ, you have a passion for the winning of souls. If you have a passion for the winning of souls, you're involved in soul winning yourself. Therefore, you are qualified to be an elder. You get all that I just said? You are called to be a disciple long before you are ever called to be an elder. And if for some reason you were called to be an elder before you became a disciple of Jesus, I encourage you to go on your knees before Jesus and say, Lord, make me a disciple of yours with a passion for soul. winning." The church will grow or fail because of your commitment, your involvement, your leadership role. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. Part of your role is to nurture the congregation. Elders are not only overseers, but they are shepherds. Shepherds know their sheep. In order to know their sheep, you have to talk to the sheep. You have to listen to the sheep. And I understand shepherds know their sheep and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The shepherd knows every lamb from one lamb to another. You need to know your congregation through involvement with them. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Prepare new members for baptism. That's part of your work. The pa- your church should be growing so fast, the pastor doesn't have time to clear everybody for baptism. So you're doing it along with other people in the congregation. And the pastor is just lining up the baptistry and baptizing the people as they come through because of the work that you've been doing. I believe that day's coming, folks. I believe it's coming. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Strong Tower Radio, we're seeing it even happen. Glimpses of what the Lord wants to do in this role. You really want to know what God's about to do. I know there's a lot of classes to choose from here on this campground, but if you wanted to come this afternoon, at our, my class in the afternoon, I'm going to be talking about... Righteousness by faith and what God is doing in Michigan and is going to do before he comes. It's exciting what's happening. But I'll tell you what, the people are walking in off the streets literally because they're listening to Strong Tower Radio and people are asking for baptism. And many of those people are, quotes, ready for baptism because they've been listening for a year to Doug Batchelor and other preachers on the on Strong Tower Radio, and they probably know more about what the Bible teaches than some of our members. And that's the honest truth. But anyway, that's another sidetrack. You want to make sure that you're helping provide that role. Provide the special love and nurture that new members need. There is a discipleship handbook. How many of you know about the discipleship handbook? All right, you need to have one. You need to have read one. Sometime in the next month, if you have not read it, read it. Because you want to be nurturing those new members, and you want to make sure that those new members are being uh, nurtured with the new discipleship handbook. And you can get that at the ABC and uh, get a hold of it that way. Fantastic prayer meeting opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for reminding us of that an excellent opportunity. Help new members make firm friendships within the church, and the handbook helps to nurture that and do that. If that's not happening in your church, go to the church board, go to your elders' meetings, hope you're having elders' meetings, and discuss that with your pastor and with the elders. Now let's talk about the job description that might be a little bit more specific for smaller churches. We have Unionville represented here, and... uh, Let's see, what were a couple of the other churches? I'm sorry, what church were you? Shelby. Shelby that's another one of our smaller churches. Um, and as we look, Adrian, a company, all right, getting its feet back on the ground a little bit. Those, the needs of Pioneer Memorial are different than those smaller churches. Those smaller churches need just a leader, right? <laughs> Please, just give me a leader, maybe two. Something along that line. We take the responsibility for all, almost all of the detailed administrative uh, work in the church when you're an elder, especially if you're the only elder. The administration in that church falls upon you. You might want to say, well, it needs to be on the pastor's shoulders. Again, I encourage you to read the church manual and realize that that's not what the church manual suggests. Yes, the pastor should oversee that, but you should help that work to be done in your church. Especially if your pastor has two or three congregations. You should plan to preach from time to time, maybe even often. You should plan to lead out in the worship service, including communion if requested in an emergency. I want to explain that. Communion should be led out by an ordained minister. But if there's an emergency and the pastor was sick sometime, don't cancel communion because of that. Maybe call the ministerial director and make sure that he's not available to come and, that's me, (laughs) come and help you or do something like that or can't find somebody to fill in for you. But if that can't happen, it's better to be able to go ahead and you can. Call and chair the church board or business meeting in the pastor's absence, wet at his request. These are some of the things you may be called upon to do in a small church. Organize and participate in the visitation of members. You will need to do that in a big church or a little church. But you may need to do the organization of that as well as doing it. That's part of your job description. That's shepherding the congregation. You can't help the members if you don't talk to the members. You can't help the members if you don't know what their spiritual needs are. You can't know what their spiritual needs are if you're not visiting them. If you're not visiting them, you are missing out on one of the responsibilities of being an elder in your congregation. You also need to oversee the evangelistic plans for the congregation, especially in small churches, in helping that when an evangelistic meeting is going on. You're not only there, you're also helping to lead out those meetings and make sure that that's all happening. You were involved in the planning anyway, so that was happening there as well. Train the congregation in a number of different things. The congregation needs to be trained. Training is the responsibility of an elder, an elder's job description but also training in terms of stewardship. Now, I've had experience where I was training elders on issues of stewardship. And stewardship, by the way, is not just money, but it does include money. And one time I was training some elders on tithe and what tithe is used for. And one of my elders who grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, whose father was also an elder did not know that the tithe was not used to pay the light bill in the local church. And that to me is just embarrassing. You need to know all those things yourself and then also teach your congregation how those things fit together and um, how the finances work in the local church so that they can participate. Remember, you might think, well, I can't require people to pay tithe. Yeah, no, you can't require. That's God's job. But when you don't teach them about their importance of doing that, you're falling down on your spiritual responsibility because God says that they will be blessed. So you're cheating them. You're cheating them of the blessing that they could be receiving if they were faithfully returning tithe to God. But if you're faithful, even though sometimes it's a little embarrassing or a little challenging, not by chastising them, but by nurturing them and teaching them, they can receive the blessing that God wants them to receive as well. And you have general oversight for the church finances, and that kind of answers the question about the finance committee as well. In large churches, if you go to Pioneer Memorial Church in Bering Springs, I think they've got like 60 elders or something like that. Well, they need to have that number of elders. They may have more elders than you have people coming to church on Sabbath morning. All right? And so it'll be a team of elders, and there'll be a first elder and a second elder, and then there might be leadership roles within that group of elders, whatever's needed to be done. But that will be happening in a larger church. There'll be a board of elders, but there's a board of elders in every church. It may be just you, but it may be two or three of you. It might be five if you have uh, five elders in your church. You should have, be having an elders' meeting with a pastor monthly. How often? How often? Monthly. monthly. You should be having a meeting of the elders and the pastor together on a monthly basis, even if it's just two of you. Now, if it's one of you, you might have your meeting on the phone and, and do that. I don't particularly encourage that, but it may more, be more cost-effective. If you are part of a district of churches, and your pastor has like three churches, I encourage you to get together periodically, maybe even quarterly, to meet with the other elders, especially if there's only like one elder, maybe two elders. It encourages you. Also, it's very time-effective. But it also gives you a little bit of a vision for what's happening in the other congregations. You'll come up with ideas. You'll be able to pray together and support each other. You might find it valuable to communicate from time to time with each other and say, how's it going over there? You might want to swap pulpits from time to time so that your members will hear somebody different. These are great opportunities. Elders meetings. Now, I know I'm talking to large churches here because those Board of Elders meetings are going to take place at Pioneer Memorial, Village Church, or Battle Creek. But if they're not happening in the smaller churches, they need to be happening as well. A time for you to come to pray, talk about the needs of the members because you've been visiting the members. This is a time to bring the pastor up to speed. The pastor does his own visitation, but as you're going around and visiting people, you might come across something he didn't encounter, a need that he might be able to address, or you and he together might be able to address or should be addressing. Um, All elders are members of the board, correct? All elders Are members of the church board. It's part of the responsibility there. Now, in a church like Pioneer, their board would be too large if all the elders were members of the board. So, in that case, they might be only a few that are assigned to be members of the board, so that the board can actually function. Have you ever been to a meeting where there's 60 people and try to get any work done? It's a little bit of a tough job. All right, I need to really scoot along here. I'm going to shift now from job responsibilities to church organization. This is just a little bit of a review of how the church is organized and church uh, responsibilities are organized. I'm going to do this fairly quickly. Before I move off a, off a job description and call, do you have any questions about those areas? I'm assuming you're asking along the way, but I'm just pausing to give you that opportunity. I believe uh, Albert Hamboard also points out, as Paul said for the elders to tell the con- to show their congregation by example mm-hmm. and uh, lead off by example more so than uh, speaking so. I really uh, appreciate you uh, coming back to that. Well, one of the slides had that word on there, but we really talk about it. And it really is an important task and responsibility. That's why you are the spiritual leader and that why you should be an elder because of your spiritual leadership not because of the fact that you might be, happen to be the mayor of the town or something like that. So, great. Thank you very much. Spiritual example for the congregation. All right, the church is God's idea. He's the one who created the church, and he is the one at, that is at work in the, uh, in the church, in its organization. God is a God of organization. You're aware of that, right? And the church should also be organized, small or large. Some churches will forever be small because they don't think about growing. And they don't think about what it takes to grow. They don't look to the future. You don't just automatically grow. You don't go from being 10 people to 100 people just by sitting there and hoping that it's going to happen. There has to be a strategy and a plan by which you're doing that. Uh, And that's being accomplished. Prayer is at the center of that, always at the center of that. The work of the Spirit of God is there. But organization is there. People who want to be part of God's plan but, uh, but not part of an organization do not understand how God works. He put together the organization so that it can accomplish His task. You can imagine what camp meeting would be like if it weren't organized. And this camp meeting functions because as soon as camp meeting's over, we start planning for the next camp meeting. And that's no exaggeration. As a matter of fact, as we're putting things away, when camp meeting's being done, they're thinking about how they're going to get all that stuff back out again to set up for camp meeting next year. And then we have regular meetings throughout the year when we talk about how to get ready for the next camp meeting. It's constantly going. Same thing happens in the local church. In the organization structure from the beginning, God's family was organized with a patriarchal system. The nation was a nation under God and the church is a community of Christians gathering together. The Bible uses many images to represent the church as a church is a group of Christian people gathering together. Church is a group of people that are called out from the world learning to love God and to love each other. Notice the statement at the bottom. It's not a museum but a living workshop. And some of our churches are museums, tragically so. The Bible uses other images, such as it is a group of Christians reaching out to the world, inviting others to come in. It's also a place for healing, for the hurts of life. I, I hear some interesting things. I mean, I just recently, I, last week, recently, I got a phone call, not a phone call, I met somebody who told me about how they took some non-Adventist members to another Adventist congregation, not their own, and this person non-Adventist happened to be wearing something around their neck that was the star of the David. And one overly zealous member came up to that lady and said, well, you shouldn't be wearing that, that's a devil symbol and you shouldn't be wearing that. Well, what does the lady say to her friend after that? I'm never going back to that church. Well, why would she want to go back to that church? They're supposed to be coming there to have the hurts of life healed, not to be condemned for something like those kinds of things. The Lord takes care of the condemnation when things need to be taken place. That's the Lord's work. Church is a mission, it's a hospital, and it's the house of God. God is the Father and the people are His children. The models in the Bible in the Old Testament was Israel model, was a theocratic model. Paul spoke of it as the body. Jesus' model was Ecclesia, a community of people getting together. How do we meet the challenge of our world today? And it's a huge challenge because in Revelation 14, God tells us that we are to go to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And Mark tells us we are to go to all creation. It's a global, multicultural, multinational work that God has called upon us to do. And how do we go about doing it? Only by good organization of resources, delegation of authority, flexibility, evaluation, and control. We need to be working together to meet those needs. The local congregation is an extension of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the world. God's reasons for organization, according to Ellen White, are to support the gospel ministry, to carry on the work of preaching in new fields, to protect both churches and the ministry from unworthy members' action, for holding church property, to publish the truth via the printing press. We are stronger because of us putting our resources together, correct? Nothing is a better example of that than camp meeting. Imagine being in a small church like Irons, and never having gotten out of that congregation, and you think that all the Seventh-day Adventist churches are like that, and there are only, how many people do you have coming on Sabbath morning? right now? 25, 25 people. There's only 25 people in Seventh-day Adventist church. And then they come here, you know, maybe they have baptized in the church, and never gone to camp meeting, never seen anything. They come here, and they find 2,500 people here on Sabbath morning in the sanctuary. Whoa, the eyes open, don't they, when they begin to see that. We're stronger because of it. We're not a papal system. We're not an Episcopal system. We're not a congregational system. We are a representative system. We work because we work through representatives. When the constituency meeting takes place in September this year, you may not all be there, but there will be representatives from your congregation there. And you are able to express your opinions through those representatives. And that's how the church works. And on the local level, it works the same way. There are levels of organization in our church. Just in case you're not aware, obviously, there's a local congregation. Then there's the conference, and I'm only doing this this way because it's illustrative, not of authority and power, but of how we are communicating with each other. You may think the president has more power than anybody else. The president only has as much power as you give him. Yes, you can take him out as well as put him in. Conference, Union is the next level, the Union in this case, and the Lake Union, there are five conferences, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, the Lake Region, and Michigan Conference. Five conferences make up the Union. There are nine co- unions in the United States. And uh, then, then there's the uh, division, and the division is made up of, um, or oh, the general conference is made up of 13 divisions. And those divisions expand around the world, and the General Conference is the organization that holds them together. The divi- divisions are only um, a, sub- a, a part of the General Conference. It's not the General Conference, then the divisions. The divisions are the General Conference. Does that make sense? And uh, the President, General Conference, oversees them. The North American Division President is a Vice President of the General Conference. So that just helps you understand how that role works. And they are connected at that particular level. The Old Testament speaks of a delegation process. We need to learn to delegate. The more you grow, the more you share your responsibilities. Uh, God was the leader in the Old Testament under Moses, Moses under him, and under him, there were others. Jethro counseled him that he needed to expand it. So he had captains of 10, captains of 100, captains of 1,000. He had people divided that way in order to be able to function with that large group. We should be doing the same based upon our particular situation. And there are also 70 men of qualification in Numbers 11. In the New Testament, the older elders... Uh, were ordained. Apostles were ordained and the elders were ordained as well. I'm moving right ahead now. You've got the notes there. I'm just covering something you basically know anyway. They exercised their spiritual gifts in the local congregation. They were lay persons. They provided a ministry that gave strength and direction to the local church as well. They ordained deacons. The deacons were responsible for visiting the sick, took care of the needs of the congregation. They were witnesses as well. By the way, that's Just a basic clue to what the deacons are supposed to do. Deacons are ordained to their work. Did you know that? They're not ordained so they can take up the offering. An usher can take up the offering. They are ordained because they're also spiritual leaders in that congregation doing the work that God has called upon them to do there. And they're also disciples. That's why they are witnesses. The local officers are very important to the work of the local church. The church manual says in the work and organization of the church, if a pastor has not been provided by the conference or mission, the office of elder ranks as the highest and most important in that local church. There are approximately 25,000 ministers available to serve more than 19 million members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in 130,000 congregations. I'd like you to do the math on that. 25,000 ministers... 130,000 congregations. Now we're using the number 20 million members. Somebody's got to be helping in here or the work isn't going to move ahead. And that's why we have elders. Only through the faithful ministry of local church leaders can churches not just maintain, but thrive. All right, let's talk about the church elder as an elder leader for a few moments. Talking about planning biblically. The church is a slumbering giant waiting to be awakened. The Bible plan is that everybody in the church should be doing something. That's why you know that the General Conference Initiative is TMI. That's not too much information. That is what? Total member involvement. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to get you off the wrong track. Total member involvement. Elder uh, Howard, who's in China right now, spoke to that on Sabbath morning, talked about TMI. That's an initiative that's valid here as well. It's a world initiative. We all need to be involved in it. That's a great book that the GC has put out called Total Member Involvement. You can get it at the ABC. It's Spanish and English, and I hope they have the English version here. Very important and valuable book. Accentuates this thing. Using our spiritual gifts. You can do the wrong thing on spiritual gifts. Don't fall into the trap of saying, no, everybody can't give a Bible study. Everybody can't witness because they don't have that spiritual gift. Everybody is called to be a witness for Jesus. They may do it in different ways, but we're all called to be witnesses. So be careful how you use spiritual gifts. I'm not going to spend any more time on this. Just recognizing that people do have different skills that they can contribute. And I'm going to leave it at that in relationship to doing that. Many people can develop their gifts more than they do, including elders learning to preach. That's part of how that works. I'll let you look over that issue of spiritual gifts a little bit more. Um, There are uh, materials available in a number of different sources in order to be able to do this. To me, the bottom line is this. Train members in their chosen ministry. Go and visit your members. When you visit with them, if I ask them what can they do in the church if they aren't doing anything, they're already doing something, find out what they need help with to do it better and train them how to do that. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody who does. Bring somebody in a resource. If it's health ministry you need, find somebody who is willing to learn and bring Vicky Griffin in to teach how to do it or somebody else locally someone from the churches around you who have the skills in that area maybe a medical professional or somebody gifted and talented in that area and help them have them come and help you functions of church leadership is to train members to use their gifts conduct regular training sessions equip members in their use of their gifts every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Ellen White says in Christian Service, Chapter 5, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. That is your church should be a training school for Christian workers. They all need to be involved, training members to accept ministry from other members as well. That means that sometimes our people will say, the pastor doesn't come and visit me, or he didn't visit me last week. It didn't count when he came the week, I mean when an elder came that week and visited me. What? Isn't it supposed to be how we're growing together? Is it only if I get a pastor by a pastor visiting me that I'm recognized as being important? That's not what this is all about. Yes, pastors should visit the members. Yes, that's true. But the elders need to be teaching members that This ministry is an involved ministry of everybody. If a deacon visits them, it counts. If an elder visits them, it counts. It counts because it's showing caring of Christ from the body, not just one person. It's not just a finger pointing out or helping there, or the mouth helping out, it's the total body helping and working together. Plan annually with your church, have own goals. Work uh, together. I encourage you to have a business meeting where you have a potluck and have everybody come out at a business meeting, plan it, and talk about your plans for the next year instead of calling a business meeting and hoping that out of 150 members, two will show up. This is total member involvement. It's total member planning, organizing, being involved to help to get the work done. We encourage you to plan for the church as outreach and soul-winning plans. Complete your plans by the fall of the year. As a leader of the congregation, you are responsible for helping that to take place. You are helping the congregation to do its work. And we ask every church, every company, to develop a um, master plan of evangelism and turn it in by October 25. Note, I didn't say the pastor is supposed to do that. The church is supposed to do that. And the elders are at the head of that. I'm going to hit this part real fast because I want you to just think about the process of planning and how it develops. Number one, you want to make sure that you get input from the entire congregation. Have a a planning agenda where people are involved in this process. What are we doing? Where are we going? What do we want to do to get where we need to go? Speak about evangelism, nurture, youth, facilities, campaign, schedule. How do all these things plan, fit into our plan? Don't just dump this on the pastor and expect him to do that. Work as a congregation to get all these pieces filled in and how everybody can be involved in that process. Have a master plan of evangelism, as I already said. Got a little bit ahead of myself there. How many of you knew about the master plan of evangelism? Yay, all right. Well, the rest of you can get that plan in there and you can take it back to Alabama, friend, and, uh, and all that. They may not call for it down there, but you can have your own plan for your congregation and know what's going to happen. All right, let's talk about committees for a moment. The committees do have a purpose and a value. I want to talk about that. Ellen, I mean, the Bible says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, here is safety. That's why we work together as committees. We work together as committees because it gives us opportunity to share ideas and to make decisions. Notice this one thought here, make decisions at the lowest level possible. Don't always try to force everything up at the top. Oh, the pastor is the only one who can make a decision. No, authorize the committees to make decisions within their sphere, within their budgets, and so on, so that the work can be done at the lowest level possible so that the machinery of the church can continue to move ahead. Committees can be very time-consuming. Plan agendas and make sure those things are happening there. Don't take to the board items that can be settled at other levels. Business meetings should always be publicly announced two weeks in advance before that takes place so people can be there. It is the highest-ranking committee of the local church. It's the only place where you can set the budget. You should be having a budget every year, determining a new budget, and it should be voted by the church in a business meeting. It includes all members of the congregation. It is called and chaired by the pastor or designated elder in his absence if it's necessary to have that meeting without the pastor. It should be held... Uh, The manual talks about even monthly, that's a little overkill in churches in Michigan (laughs) and probably the United States. You're lucky to have it quarterly, but I encourage it quarterly and absolutely no less than annually. should have a business meeting where you're sharing your plans, uh, voting your budget, dealing with issues, and so on and so forth. All right, how many of you have ever attended a business meeting at your local church? So you have a little bit of an idea what that's about and what it is. I'm not going to talk a lot about the church board today. This would be a great place. We have a meeting tomorrow. We can talk more about that if you have some ideas uh, or questions about that. But I do want to remind you that you should always have an agenda at your board meeting so you know what's happening. And things get on the agenda by being uh, put on the agenda ahead of time, not at that meeting. So you can plan ahead for it. If it's an emergency item, then have the board vote to put it on the agenda. The board has got its authority only because the church has established the church board and has given them their that authority. Um, the church is responsible. The church board is responsible for the spiritual nurture and evangelism and maintenance of doctrinal purity. If you're having doctrinal problems in your church and your board is not dealing with it, shame on them. I mean that literally. Shame on them. Problems that are happening in the local church should be dealt with by the church board and not ignored because you are ignoring the spiritual needs of the people in your congregation and you're opening your church to the invasion of the devil himself. Don't allow it to happen in your congregation. But do it with love and caring and compassion. Work on it as boards of elders with your pastor and work through some of those kinds of things. Upholding the standards in the local church is the responsibility of the elders in the church board to make sure that those kinds of things are happening. The church board coordinates the finances of the local church and makes sure that those things are happening as well. As a committee member, you are an initiator. You you might have... uh, Uh, have ideas that you want to share. Some people are elaborators created by nature and enlarges ideas and and presents uh, ideas on the board, both for and against, sometimes playing the devil's advocate and working through those kinds of things. The committee uh, member can also challenge, so that there are ideas. Some pe- members are doing that, or are challenging along the way. Some are appeasers, some are energizers. Look those over, and you'll see that some pe- you know might have one of each on your board. Hopefully, you have one of each, and not wall of one, <laughs> and that kind of thing. You see a little bit of the chair responsibilities that I've listed there, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to do that. If you've got some questions, we can talk about that tomorrow. I want to end today by talking a little bit about the pastor-elder team in the last minute or two that I have. You are a team. If you are not a team, you have a problem. If you can't work with your pastor because you don't like your pastor, you have a problem. If the pastor doesn't like you, the pastor's got a problem because you need to work together to be a, a force for good in that local church. Paul could say, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's the way it ought to be. We should be thanking God for each other. The difference between a pastor and elder, a pastor is assigned and ordained by the local conference for a pastoral district. An elder is assigned to the local congregation. Elders, valid ordination. Now, I've already talked about that. I'm not going to go over that again. Um, but both are leaders. Both coordinate the activities of the church And young ministers who have not been ordained to the ministry should be ordained as local elders. In case you have an elder um, pastor like that, make sure that does take place. Pastor's part is to be concerned about the curriculum of the local church in accomplishing the various things that take place there. The pastor-elder team works through some of these. By the way, um, encourage your pastor to support his family and to be involved in that work. And don't expect the pastor to be on call 24 hours a day. Yes, he is. I'm, let me rephrase that. You mean his church family, not his don't, Yeah, yeah. What, what, I'm, what I mean is this. Family, family. Your pastor should have a day off every week. If your pastor's not taking a day off every week, chastise him lovingly. You know what I'm saying. And also empower him. Say, Pastor, I'm going to put in the bulletin this week that your day off is such and such a day. The elder the people can call me if there's an emergency during that. I mean, if there's some question they have during that time. If there's an emergency, have a plan by which the pastor responds to that emergency plan. Maybe it's a text from you or something like that. Just protect your pastor, but your pastor should also protect you. Is there good days that he should take off? It's up, to him. it's up to him. I will let that work out what books for him and the congregation and your family, and do that as well. All right. You can see those notes there. I'm going to have to end here and I want to make sure you get a elder's handbook. We'll pick up from here tomorrow and, uh, and go on to our next phase talking about the work of elders. Thank you very much for being here. Let's end with a word of prayer as we conclude. Father in heaven, I thank you for these elders and their desire to serve you. I pray that you will strengthen them and encourage them and, uh, Make them the leaders in your congregations that you want them to be. I pray that as we leave this place now and go on with our day here at Camp Meeting that you will watch over us. Pray that you'll keep the severe weather away from us and help us to be able to enjoy our time of fellowship and learning together. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.